this is important for those people that are listening is if you're going to try to do this, us as deer hunters, we keep everything close to our chest. We don't tell anybody secrets. We want to shoot all the bucks. We don't want the neighbors to get them, right? But that's really the wrong philosophy. If you work together, everybody benefits. Uh, out of the 12 neighbors, four of them shot the biggest bucks they've ever shot. And they, some of them have lived here their whole lives. We got two of them. Two got hit by cars. One by a truck at 1.30 in the morning. Um, and then one got dispersed. And I have pictures of it getting dispersed, multiple photos. And I have one that I don't know what happened to. But the thing I'm excited about is I'm going to have four or five-year-olds next year. I've never been able to document five-year-olds before. I mean, going into year six, I'm going to have, I'm going to have actually 14 three-year-olds, uh, nine four-year-olds, and four five-year-olds next year. Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 243. Bill Vale and Greg Skufka, pressured deer pros and the circle of masters. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Hunter's Blend Coffee. Awaken your hunt with coffee purchased directly from farmers around the world, creating jobs and alleviating poverty. Hunter's Blend Coffee, we're hunters too. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone, specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Black Ash Outdoor Products reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system. The Enforcer. Take control of your odor footprint with your personal ozone generator. Covert scouting cameras. Remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. The Horny Buck Seed Gummy. It's all about the freshest seed. Morse's Sporting Goods. A full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Bruce Mitchell, the Alligator Man. You listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Johnny from Rockstar Led Outdoors. You're about to push play on my favorite podcast, the Big Buck Registry. Hi, this is Sean Asada at iowalandman.com. You are listening to my favorite podcast, The Big Buck Registry. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to The Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at The Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes. Subscribe and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full body harness, 
please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. Bill Vale first joined us on episode 216 of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, and soon thereafter, we were inundated with questions and requests to have Bill join us a second time. Well, Bill is back. Bill has recently launched a new project called Pressure Deer Pros, where he has sought out and handpicked a group of experts in different areas of hunting and then brought them all together in one virtual location. Bill refers to these experts as his circle of masters. Bill's circle of masters show mastery skills from minerals to mapping to habitat to fitness and so on. We plan to visit with each of Bill's masters, and first we visit with Greg Skufka, Bill's habitat expert out of Michigan. We'll get to our entire interview with Greg Skufka and Bill Vale in just one moment, but before we do, let's turn to Jim Keller for the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, Kroger planning to pull gun magazines from all retail locations. This story is from the OutdoorHub.com website. In the latest development of stores banning the sale of semi-automatic rifle, Kroger just upped the ante once more. After increasing the, requ- the required age to buy firearms in its Fred Meyer stores, Kroger has now told magazine distributors after much consideration they have decided to remove gun magazines from all locations. A post on Facebook goes into more detail about the announcement, but it specifically calls for removal of magazines with assault weapons content, placement of non-assault gun titles to the top tier of the main line, verify placement of non-assault gun titles are next to teen titles or kids' books. First elk hunt in Wisconsin state history will take place this fall. This story is from the OutdoorHub.com website. For the first time, the state of Wisconsin will host a managed elk hunt next fall. Wisconsin DNR took to Facebook to announce the exciting news, where they say the hunt will take place within the Clam Lake, Elk Range of Sawyer, Bayfield, Ashland, and Price Counties, where elk were first introduced to the state from Michigan back in 1995. If wildlife officials are correct, the population is projected to grow to over 200 elk this year, and they even hinted a high proportion of bulls could be seen stomping around America's dairyland. Wisconsin's inaugural elk hunting season will adhere to the following guidelines. Season will be open from October 13th to November 15th, 2018, and December 13th through 21, 2018. Only one bull elk may be harvested. Areas where Kentucky elk were released between 2015 and 2017 will be off-limits to hunting until the population increases to levels identified in the elk management plan. Only Wisconsin residents are eligible to receive a harvest tag, and harvest tags may be transferred to a Wisconsin resident youth hunter 17 years or younger. Historic grizzly hunt could happen in Wyoming this fall. This story is from the Outdoor News website. The first grizzly bear hunting season in the lower 48 states in more than 40 years could happen in Wyoming this fall. Yellowstone region grizzlies haven't been hunted since they were put on the federal endangered species list in 1975. Wyoming officials released a plan last week that would allow up to 24 grizzlies to be killed this fall. The Wyoming Game and Fish Commission will vote on the plan May 23rd. The Casper Star Tribune reports up to 12 bears could be killed in an area immediately surrounding Yellowstone and the Grand Teton National Park. Another 12 could be killed on farms, ranches, and other areas not considered typical grizzly habitat. Idaho and Montana are not planning their own hunts since the government removed Yellowstone region grizzlies from the federal protection in 2017. Missouri deer hunters donate nearly 300,000 pounds of venison to food pantries. This story is from the Missourian website and was reported by Morgan Keith. 
After last year's deer season, Missouri hunters donated 289,292 pounds of venison to the state's Share the Harvest program to help feed the hungry. Hunters started Share the Harvest because they saw a need in their communities, Missouri Department of Conservation Director Sarah Parker-Pauley said in a department news release. We sincerely thank the thousands of deer hunters who support Share the Harvest, along with many participating meat processors and sponsors. The Department of Conservation and the Conservation Federation of Missouri coordinate with deer hunters who are donating extra venison to more than 100 participating meat processors throughout the state. The processors grind the meat into ready-to-use packages that are given to local food banks and pantries to be distributed to Missourians in need of food assistance. Processing fees are covered entirely or in part by numerous local supporting organizations and statewide sponsors, including Shelter Insurance, Bass Pro Shops, and United Bow Hunters of Missouri. Conservation Federation of Missouri Executive Director Brandon Butler believes that hunters across Missouri should be proud of this outstanding program. This year's donation is equivalent to around 5,600 whole deer and is nearly 100,000 more pounds of venison than last year. 4 million pounds of lean, healthy venison has been donated since the program began in 1992. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Roasteries Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckroasteries.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckroasteries.com. For the Big Buck Roastery, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Bill Vale and Greg Skufka. Bill Vale and Greg Skufka, welcome to the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. And Bill, I guess I should say welcome back. Uh, thank you, Jay, very much. Hey, Jay, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I'm just like to have some pressured deer pros sitting in the studio here. Oh, well, it's our pleasure to, to be here, Jay, that's for sure. Excellent. Bill, I have to say that we had a lot of comments and we had a, a lot of requests to have you back on the show. So I suspect that this will please our listeners uh, very much. Oh, I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a saying, everybody's always glad to see me. Some people are glad to see me coming, the other folks are glad to see me go. <laughs> <laughs> I love your sense of humor, Bill. It's excellent. So we uh, we covered a lot about you, Bill, in the first episode that we did with you. And we, so we, we know a lot. I'll, I'll reference people that if they wanted to learn more about who you are, where you're from, that they go back and listen to that episode. But I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, Greg first. Greg, who are you and, and how are you associated with Bill? Well, I'm a retired chemical engineer, and uh, I've been uh, passionate about whitetail hunting for as long as I can remember. And I used to think I was really good at it. And uh, what I ended up being good at, really, I guess this is me talking anyway, is is developing a piece of property to hold the deer. But where I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was was how to really do proper ambush setups for a mature five-year-old or older whitetails. Okay. And uh, so uh, that's how I ran into Bill. I, I tried other consultants and, and there's some good ones out there, but they didn't seem to really get me on the path I needed to be on. And Bill did that. He came, uh, I met Bill three years ago. I was in year three of my property development plan and uh, he put me on two stands. He gave me two stand setups and that's all I could get to because I was busy. I was still working at the time. I hunted those two stands, and this is an honest truth. The first day in on the first stand, following the moon calendar, I shot a 142-inch four-year-old at 1210 high noon <laughs> off of that stand first time in. The next time I hunted, I hunted the second stand that he had set me up on, and I killed a 138-inch eight-point. I would not have shot that buck, but 
because he had a broken tine on one side. I couldn't see it. Um, but so anyway, that's how I was convinced that uh, the approach to using the moon and the time to hunt, um, that I was totally convinced after that. Um, so that's how I got in, you know, got to where I'm at. You know, I've been working on a piece of property here. Uh, I bought 288 acres about six years ago and started developing it. And I ended up putting my own five-year plan together. And I really focused a lot of my effort on how do I hold the bucks on here? Because basically, in my mind, the neighbors are going to shoot them all. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And uh, so that that's what I've spent a lot of effort on. Is how do you really minimize bucks leaving your property, which I call minimizing buck dispersion. Okay. And at some point I can talk about that. I could talk yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. That, we need to bring that up because that's, that's a very good topic. And I think it's probably something a lot of people that are listening to the show often wonder, oh, how, how do I help fix that? So Bill, you have brought Greg on as a part of the circle of masters, correct? Uh, yes, sir. All right. Look, tell me about the, the circle of masters that you're putting together. I know, I think we touched on it a little bit in the last show. And we've certainly had conversations about it since then. But just so everybody understands what you're putting together, can you explain what Pressure Deer Pros and the Circle of Masters is all about? I'd love to, uh, Jay. Um, I realized some years back, and everybody who knows me knows that I, I love the Lord and I'm a Christian. And I've seen a lot of uh, families falling apart over hunting, this, that, and the other. And uh and not only that, but the main thing was, is I, I realized that there was more to hunting than any one man could learn in a single lifetime. So with that thought in mind, about 10 years ago, I set out looking for what I would call uh, men that were brilliant in their particular field. And this ended up being a real smart move for Bill because... <laughs> I've learned so much and I'm continuing. I feel right now like my head's going to explode. Yeah. I can hardly contain everything that I've learned. And I thought, you know, this is just a shame because everybody out there who hunts, in my opinion, not everybody, but most guys have been just taught wrong. It's not their fault. You know, if they were taught by their grandfather who toted iron his whole life, and nothing the matter with toting iron, but when we're talking about bow hunting tactics and having you get close, modern man has kind of lost his touch with his instincts and whatnot. Sure. That makes sense. So what uh, we try to do, what I've done here is I've searched the planet for A, men with godly character, mm-hmm. men with uh, genius uh, level thinking, um, men with very high IQs and just mastery at their particular thing. It's like, it's their niche and what they do. All hunters are really good at some things and they have weaknesses. You know, I've had a saying, you know, play to your strengths and work on your weaknesses because everybody has them and everybody's weak in a different, you know, in a different way. As I get older, I have to hunt smarter and more brilliantly because I, my body just won't take the beat and yell and let's give out anymore. Like I used to be able to take it. Right. Right. So the whole idea is to teach and hunt smarter. Okay. So by, by surrounding yourself with a circle of friends that are, are brilliant, you're, you, and, and this is, this is, this goes back to all kinds of che- teachings is that if you surround yourself by brilliant people, then the chances of you being 
more successful or successful people, then your chance of being successful are way higher than they would be if you try to do it by yourself. Well, let's just put it this way. You know, um, many hands make light work. Yeah. And ever since I've incorporated these guys onto my team and I chose them very carefully, um, my successes went up. Uh, all of my clients' successes went up. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's, we are, we are different. We are unique in everything that we teach, and we're eager to do so. So I'll tell you, I'd, I'd like to introduce them if you'd like me to. Yes, please. All right. Our first guy is Jay, and he is our media master. Thank <laughs> you, Jay. He is the man who has been bringing knowledge to other people through interviewing all sorts of different hunters on his show. Basically, this is my idea and with a twist. In other words, you go all around the country or whatever and talk to all these different hunters. You've got the inside scoop on how to deliver the message and, you know, to make our voices heard. And so, you know, we want to thank you very much, Jay, for uh, joining our Kima Masters and uh, making our voices to where they'll be heard. I appreciate that. I'm I'm excited to learn from you guys because I've been chasing this this deer hunting knowledge for a long time through this particular aspect of podcasting and media. And I, I can tell you I've gotten better and I've gotten really good at media, but I haven't gotten nearly as far as I want to yet. But I think I think joining your crew um, can really help me hone in. So I appreciate the offer and uh, I gladly accept it. <laughs> well, thank you, Jay. Um, our, our headmaster is a very, very special man. His name is Michael Yates, and he is what we call our head grandmaster. Okay. Uh, Michael is a multifaceted mountain man that lives this life out every day. He has the highest IQ of anyone I've ever met uh, as far as hunting goes. He is a stratagem, meaning his hunting strategies are so detailed and so far finessed ahead of the average guy that is just insane. This guy goes in and hunts on the ground and routinely arrows nice deer. Hmm. Now, I you know, I have trouble doing it from 35 feet. I'm gonna be honest. You know, so this guy had intrigued me from the beginning. And Michael and I have had like four arguments since I've known him over deer hunting, and he's won every one of them, either through physics, math, science, or whatnot, biology. When you get pinned down by the facts, it's hard to argue. That's impressive. Michael All right. is a brilliant <laughs> ground hunter, and he, him and I are putting together a book called Up or Down. It's a field tactical handbook that's going to help you to recognize automatic ambush points and then how to properly set them up up or down mm, excellent okay all right our next guy on the team is uh josh and josh is uh, our youngest uh member but he is also from tennessee and these boys that live in tennessee there's just something about them you know they're outdoors climbing these mountains all the time and they just know stuff, man. I mean, I, that's all I can say. And Josh has, uh, is a master mapper. He uh, sets people on stands using cyber matching techniques, and they shoot nice bucks off his stands. He never sets foot on the property. Wow. And that leads me to a story that happened this last weekend. I was in 
Southern Ohio. And I had a client down there that wanted me to come down for a couple of days. And I went down and he'd had another consultant there and uh, whatnot. And I got to looking the property over. And when we got to a certain point on the property, he wanted to tell me the Josh story. And so I said, okay. He said, I was driving to Ohio and I had one day to hunt. And he said, so I called Josh and said, hey, Josh, you know, I'm setting up a property or, you know, my property, you've mapped it for me. Um, It's going to be the coldest day. Where would you go? And Josh directed uh, the client to a, a spot in an outside corner where there was a bedding area there that was loaded with bittersweet, had good thermal bedding and all day sun, see? Mm. And had the guy found the corner that Josh had uh, picked for me, he'd have had a chance at three different decent bucks walking right down the path that Josh had picked. Okay. When the guy told me about that, I said, I'm going to have to give him a raise. (laughs) (laughs) But Josh, is he's a real friendly, outgoing guy. Uh, he's got some tricks up his sleeve uh, that uh, I'm not even at liberty to say right now because we're getting ready to break the news here coming up. Gotcha. Okay. Who then else? we have uh, my buddy Greg, which we've uh, talked about, but I want to want to say why I wanted Greg as my habitat guy. Mm-hmm. When I came to his property, you know, see, people have got to understand something. If you've never lived in Michigan and you've never hunted in Michigan, this just doesn't sink in. It's nearly impossible to kill big trophy deer that are under this kind of pressure. They they are nocturnal and uh, uh, and like the buck that my buddy Bill Gibson killed late season this year, which I can discuss at a different time. uh, We'd never had a picture of him in daylight, but we pinpointed the day that he would come out of there and he did. So, uh, but, but the whole thing is with, uh, uh, this whole thing is that we want to keep, uh, ourselves focused on teaching, learn, teaching people what we know through the different masters that we have. Mm. Now, Greg, like I said, with, uh, with his property, when I showed up here in Michigan, like I said, it's not what he's done. It's where he's done it. When I showed up here to his property, I couldn't believe my eyes. I've been on properties all over the country, and his property simulated Iowa to me. And I just couldn't believe that he had the amount of scraping, the amount of rubs, the amount of deer holding on this 288 acres. I will say that when he got it, it was not that way. There was just a handful of deer here. And over the years, I've worked real closely with Greg and his ideas on dispersion and uh, and things even went against some of my grain. But at the end of the day, how do you argue with 42 bucks on your property at the end of the season? And we got documented proof. <laughs> wow. Wow. OK, that's a big deal. I can see why you were impressed, Bill. Well, when you, you know, hunted Michigan, you know, like I said, Everywhere I go in Michigan on state land and everything, you're lucky to even see a a deer in daylight hours. Greg routinely gets daylight photos of these big bucks. Um, I mean, I've never seen a property that would even the bucks would put up with each other to have that many on it. But with using the the dispersion trickery that he uses, um, the bucks don't really realize that they're 
jammed in there like that, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Anybody else on your, your team? Um, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Greg right now. He's going to introduce uh, a few of the other masters. Okay. Yeah. So we have uh, three other masters that have uh, been made part of the team. And I'll start with the first one, uh, Rick Grossapon. And Rick is, uh, he's a great deer hunter, but the thing that he's best known for, he's a turkey guy. He's a tremendous turkey caller. He won the state of Michigan turkey call two years in a row. And winning it once is tough enough to win it two years in a row is pretty impressive. So he's he's a guy on our team. He's our turkey guy. Uh, and, and that's why he's here on the team. Nice. Another thing, uh, the next guy is really is Dan, Dan Bill. It happens to be Bill's brother. But um, one of the things that's happening across the U.S. is our hunters are all aging. I mean, it's hard to believe when you get close to 60 like I am that that actually happened. But, you know, to climb, to continue to climb trees into your 70s and older and even in your 80s, I hope I'm going to be able to do that. You have to stay in shape and you have to know how to prepare yourself before you do those climbs. Um, and so Dan is a uh, physical uh, tactitioner that basically he's been a health guy all his life in exercise. He actually won... Uh, Mr. Uh, Maryland or whatever, Mr. Delaware, Mr. Delaware. Uh, and he did that not with steroids. Like a lot of people did back then. He did it with nutrition. <laughs> so we have him on the team uh, primarily just to give us a little bit of insight. Uh, and and we're, if we talk about our school, which I hope we do in a little bit, he's, he, we'll have something in each of our school seminars where we talk about this and try to get people to prepare themselves. So they don't get hurt. We don't want any of us to fall out of a tree or get hurt. Right. Right. Or fall something. So gotcha. And then we have one more, if I can continue. Absolutely. Uh, and this this one's really kind of key to me. Randall Staggs is uh, a gentleman that we've added to our team, and he's our mineral he's our mineral guy. You know, I don't know how the rest of the people are out there. I've tried every mineral out there, and and Bill has as well. And he may have some additional comments. But Randall has lived these minerals. He developed his own mineral many many years ago, and it's it's out there, but not not a lot of people know about it. But his minerals, in my mind what we would say are probably the most effective that are out there. Hmm. So he's our mineral guy. He's an expert. He's got a lot of biology background. What's interesting about his minerals are they have medication in them that kills parasites in deer. Okay. Okay, Why why is that important? Because basically what happens is when the deer eat his minerals, they become immune to having these parasites. And then all the food intake they take, they get more out of it. And they grow, grow bigger bodies faster. So if you know about big bucks, they got to reach five years old before they'll get their biggest antler set. That's because they're all putting the energy into the body. But what happens is what I'm seeing in the property, I'm in year three, going into year four of these minerals, is the deer achieve their full body weight a full year earlier. I mean, I'm growing three-year-old bucks that are over 200 pounds. And we never had that before because I weigh every deer we harvest Typically, they're uh, 165 pounds if they're three years old. But now we're getting 200 pounders. So I'm a little bit off track here. But uh, Randall Staggs is our mineral guy. And we think he's really, really important because this guy is is a legit. He really is. That's awesome. I'd like to add that when I met Randall, I thought that, you know, I, I was skeptical, you know. But it's the fact of the matter is, is that what Randall's whole theme on this and, and this is another thing in the places where randall's minerals have been there's been no blue tongue you know and i mean to me isn't the best medicine preventative medicine you know we're trying to prevent the spread of the of this disease and it, we know it stops blot fly 
I'm convinced it has an effect in at least detouring Bluton. I, I have no scientific proof except that where minerals, where Randall's minerals are, blue tongue isn't. So, uh, you know, I'm just really ramped up about the fact that we're starting to think about the big buck while he's still in the mother's womb. Right. You know, getting right. the minerals he needs ahead of time and getting a jump start. So after five years using these minerals, the deer that are impregnated are being impregnated in deer that have been eating minerals for all this time. And so you have perfect health or optimal health coming together right. um, to put it, make it right. Gotcha. All right. So that's, uh, that's all of our circle of masters is basically eight of us. The eight circle of masters. All right. Very good. Yep. So Bill, I got to ask the question. You, you could just go out and find all these friends and you know, stay in contact with them with, by phone and keep them all to yourselves. Why do you want to share? Well, I, I've always had, uh, well, I believe this with all my heart. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Wisdom is meant to be shared, and all wisdom comes from God, and it was given to me freely, and I'm willing to give it away freely. Why? Because I don't want to see, I want to see guys become so efficient at this sport that not one more marriage is ruined over it that not one more kid doesn't have dad at football practice, you know, and just uh, to to make, put hunting in the proper perspective. Because see, people, when they get, people like me that are determined, when they get defeated, they don't like it. And it, and it just, it just ends up, uh, to me, it, you know, I'm so determined, I'm going to sit out there at all costs, okay? I'm going to be stubborn if I can't be good. Well, that doesn't work because I learned a long time ago, and just like Greg learned on his property, he had big bucks crawling all over this place. But do you think they're easy to shoot? No. Right. Still got to work your tail off for it. But with our techniques and proper timing, you don't have to spend near the amount of time. You know, my slogan I follow in the calendar is, hunt half as much and score twice as often. Right. Billy, are you more or less the, the calendar guy? I mean, you, we've had conversations on the show or just off, off air and I mean, you, you ramble off, uh, the, the moon phases and when things are coming, apogee, perigee, um, like, like you're eating a breakfast cereal. Like it's just, it's there. It's just always there. But to somebody that's never heard it before. And, and I've had this, and I'm only saying this, uh, out of, out of love for it be, is that, and I've had people have commented, I had a really hard time keeping up with what Bill was saying, even though it's all accurate. So when it comes down to all this the stuff that's in your head, um, do you feel like you have to match that intelligence with the person there are the people that you picked as well? Do you find like, you, I got to find somebody that thinks about these things as much as I do. Well, not well, kind of, but I will say this much that the calendar, anything new always seems overwhelming. Right. And what makes me different than other guys is that I won't just sell you my calendar. If you got a problem or don't understand it, call me up and we'll get to the bottom of it. You know, I'll talk to anybody who calls me on the phone. Now, I would like to mention that this year in January on the 31st, um, if you look back into the newspapers, you'll see on near the 1st of January, we had a full moon, but we also had one on the 31st. For 150 years, the moon has been cycling to this closest point. As far as long as I've been studying in the tide tables, 
we've never had a tide that I knew of that went over 12 foot 6 inches. But when the moon got to its closest point in this 150 years, we had 15 foot tides, which brought devastation to Boston. Mm. I'm sure you read about that in the paper. Sure. Yeah, I, I picked up on some of the articles after we talked about it. Okay, so with that in mind, they had another supermoon coming, and uh, I went to Ohio where I could hunt during the supermoon. Yep. And uh, I hunted for one day just to see what was going on. And uh, I got there at my usual hour for daylight, and right at the crack, I had a couple of does come through, and then nothing until 1 o'clock. <laughs> Between one o'clock and four o'clock, I saw fifty-eight deer, and I saw seven bucks and the two hundred incher that I'd been after all season and hadn't even seen. And then after this big show of all these deer parading through the right out in the middle of the day, right out in the middle of the ag fields, uh, <clears throat> we and my team, you know, had picked. The, the spot for me and what they didn't know is that I recorded the whole thing saying I'm putting my own team to the test here I'm playing like I don't know anything about what I'm doing and I'm having these guys direct me to the spot I'm going to tell you what if a big buck don't die there next year <laughs> there's something wrong because Greg and I have definitely got a spot pinned down in there okay where they travel anywhere in a 500-yard radius, they've got to come by one of us. Hey, yeah. Jay, I'd like I'd like to answer your original question about intelligence with all the guys he picked. Yeah. Thanks for the comp thanks for the compliment. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, well, I'm just it's it's fascinating. I mean, Bill to me, Bill's a really smart guy. I mean, and if you listen to Bill, you're it's a lot well, of people have a hard time keeping up with him. So he's surrounding yeah. himself with people like got to think he's got to be surrounding himself with people that he thinks are as smart or smarter than him in a lot of scenarios. Well, what's interesting about Bill and we've become really good friends. He's really a modest guy. You know, you get somebody that's super smart, they get arrogant, you know, Bill's not that way. And, right. uh, and all the people, you know, Michael Yates is brilliant, brilliant. When I talk to that guy, so how does he know that? You, know, you ask questions like that, but you know, so we're, we, our team really is, we get, we're all really down to earth people and we're all very modest and, and we all believe in God and, and, and uh, we're easy to talk with and easy to work with. I mean, one of the things that makes things that makes us different than a lot of people out there is we're available. In other words, you know, we've been doing land jobs for a while. We're once we get done with those land jobs, we're typically on the phone three, four, five times with these people afterwards because they have questions. Right. And what and what we're starting to hear now is from a lot of people is and I, and, I, and I'm not at all being negative about the industry, but they're saying that they can't get their questions answered. So that's something that we are going to continue to stress with our team is if we're going to have clients or have people that want help, we're going to help them. Yeah, gotcha. And, you know. Getting back to your question on intelligence that I uh, slipped my mind in, that, by the way, is the only thing we have on the deer. The deer have us in every other angle. They can outrun us. They can outsee us. They can outhear us. And. They can definitely outsmell us. Right. So if we don't have an ace in the hole, which, uh, you know, in the Bible, the Lord talks about giving us dominion. Um, dominion comes through intellect. People are looking for a buck in a bottle cure. Good luck. I was looking for one of those myself for quite a long time. What I found out is, is there's no such thing. Not really. 
something may work once and never again. There might have been particular circumstances behind that event that weren't even noticed by the hunter. Gotcha. When was the first time you ever picked up a, a soul lunar calendar, Bill? I began studying the moon in high school okay. um, as, as a project okay. uh, for science. And then later in life, I uh, started, I was quite a fisherman when, in my teens and going into my early 20s. And I, I picked up a, uh, a book by John Alden Knight called Moon Up, Moon Down. And I read that book. And even though a lot of his information was dead on and whatnot, his times did not work. Hmm. And what it is is that when the moon swings into what I'm going to call the pre-activity period of the position for the deer, it stirs microactivity first. Okay, let's just relate this to fishing while we're at it. So the plankton and all of the insects and things like that become active first as the moon begins to swing in position. Then after that, the bats and the birds, stimulated by the insects, the plankton stimulates the minnows, the minnows feed, the insects are active. Now with the birds come the panfish coming in that are stimulated by the sight of the activity of the minnows, plus the moon is beginning to pull on them. See, it's a weight thing. And, uh, and then finally the predator fish and along with that, uh, the bigger prey of the air, the birds of the air and whatnot. And you can watch these activity spells happen right before your eyes. So when I first started using the calendar, it didn't work. Well, then one year my son who helps me put the calendar together, um, I mean, it was working during the, the dark period, no problem, but. It was the daily times that were thrown off. And so my son made a mistake, an hour and a half mistake, you know. And that year, we had more bucks shot than any of the other years, you know, on the right on the times, you know. So I said, we're on to something here. And that's when I developed the, uh, the lag time. Gotcha. So if you go to the National Observatory in Washington, D.C. and look at the moon times, and if they're using those moon times, which match that National Observatory, they're hunting for micro life. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. That's good to know. That's very good to know. So there's this story that uh, we've talked about this a little bit, and you have a, a couple of interesting stories about the last, you had a, a, a team effort basically on this property, this Corey Corey in South Southern Ohio. And I think it was about a, a, a deer recovery of, of, of some sort. Can you speak of that? Oh, sure. Uh, that was my buddy, uh, Scotty. And I've known Scotty been doing, helping him with his property for, uh, I think this will be the fourth year. Um, we've been working a 200 inch buck together. I haven't been hunting for him. I've just been trying to help Scotty get him. And, uh, after this guy is something else, man. He's he's only thirty, I think thirty three years old. But if that buck don't don't make Boone and Crockett, he won't shoot it. Hmm. You know, he just keeps passing deer and passing deer to the point where I'm saying, dude, you're passing deer. This is insane. The deer you're passing, you know. But anyway, he broke down late season this year and decided to shoot uh, a sixteen point buck on the ground, and it was just at that time of night. And the deer was quartered to him just right, and a bad shot developed. 
wasn't Scotty's fault by no means. And he did a brilliant job of sniping the buck off of uh, the ground, utilizing some of Michael Yates' ground tactics. Mm. Okay, uh, he made a mistake. He trailed the buck a little too soon. And the buck ended up in the next eight to ten hours being bumped three times. Okay, they lost the, the blood in the blowing and drifting snow. And by day three, I got the phone call. And I said, Scotty, why didn't you call me before? I have never seen a deer bleed like this deer blood and make it as far as he made it. Mm. It was just, it was just mind boggling. Um, before I left Michigan, I did my usual thing. I analyzed the situation, pulled my usual cybro tricks, figured out the best defensive position for the buck. And because I used something as known as the first cover variable, Meaning if a buck is very seriously wounded, he will generally hold up in the first cover available. He had done that already three times. Okay. He had only had 200 yards between each jumping. So I knew that after this jumping, chances were the buck was going to get out of town. And that's exactly what he did. I put an X on on the map, roughly a little over a mile from there. And the buck had already covered about a half a mile. All right, so um, I left Michigan. I got there early, early morning, and uh, after about four hours of looking around, uh, I found a drop of blood in a in a in a bed, and I reached out and smushed it between my fingers, and it felt a bit warm yet. And then I smelled it, and it just stunk horrible. And something just told me this buck is still alive. You know, I better back out of here. I better not, you know, push him anymore. I don't know what it was. But when I smelled that smell, I thought it was gut. And it wasn't. It was gangrene. But neither way, it was the smell of death. And I knew that that deer wasn't dead because of the temperature of the blood in the bed. Okay. Now, um, so I pulled out, told Scotty, because we had a melt coming. Now we had like, I don't know, a couple of weeks of these 35 mile an hour winds and blowing snow. But Michael Yates taught me about the snow cone effect. Now, I've been hunting my whole life, never heard anything about no snow cone effect. Hmm. But what the snow cone effect is, is a brilliant way to allow the blood trail to come back to life. Because as the snow melts, the blood magnifies or leaches into the snow, and it brings the blood trail back to life. It looked like a doggone uh, war party went through there when, uh, <laughs> they, you know, they get on there. So, so with that said, I told him to leave his house when the when the snow started melting off his house and take his bow with him. Yeah. Well, he left the house at the right time, but he didn't think he was going to need his bow. And uh, he promptly, using the snow cone effect that I'd learned from Michael, slipped up on the buck and got a, uh, the buck was laying there apparently dead with his head down. Mm. So guy, Scotty thought, what's the harm? I'm going to snap a picture of him. So he took a picture of the buck. And with that, the big buck jumped up out of his bed and decided to go on another 1,500-yard jump. <laughs> he went in a big circle. And, uh, and now Scotty is just burnt, man. Four days looking for that deer. He's fried. He can't think. He's telling me on the phone, Bill, I just can't think. And I said, okay, 
let me do that for you. I said, what I want you to do is sit down. You got any food with you? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to eat something and take a five-minute time to take your mind off it. And then in that five-minute time, I asked God to help me. And I said, where would a deer hide um, to try to try to beat a human that's been looking for him? And I thought to myself, what better way to trick a human than to go back to where the human had already looked. Right. And that was back on the X that I had put there before I left Michigan. He was there when I got there and he was there. He went back there to die. The reason why is because the winds at the time gave him a 180 degree uh, defense from the rear and he had his back trail covered with his eyes. No problem. Gotcha. We recovered the deer. Uh, Scotty went back to that spot, was amazed to find him there, and put the third arrow in him. And after four days, we took the near Boone and Crockett buck home. Beautiful. That's excellent. Great story. Thank you. Let me. Uh, I've got go documented cases of where I've done that, but I've been doing that as early as 1990-something. Hmm. Before Google. Before Google Maps existed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had 22 miles of uh, maps plus glass to my moon room. <laughs> around my <laughs> I can envision that. That's quite a visual, Bill. That's crazy. <laughs> let, me, let me run something by you guys. I, was, uh, I went ice fishing yesterday. And beautiful day on the ice. Didn't catch a thing. Didn't really matter. We're just having a good time. And... One of the guys I went fishing with is a state biologist, a deer biologist for the state that I live in, New Hampshire. Okay. okay. All right. And we get in the conversation. He said that and there's always budgetary problems. said that the hunting licenses are on the decline. However, this year in the state of New Hampshire, they had the fifth largest kill on record. They had the number one mature buck kill ever. In, wow. Right. Right. I said, wow. That's interesting. So there was a, there was an uptick in archery licenses, but all the other licenses have declined. Yet here we are able to have the largest mature buck kill ever in the state of New Hampshire. What what how do, what do you read into that? Timing is probably a lot of it. You'll notice that on the years where some hunters are successful, there will be a lot of hunters successful, and it always happens during the same time. It's uh, like somebody flips a switch. Everybody will be shooting the bucks for about a week, and then it's like somebody flips the switch again. You know, so basically this year we had some pretty good lineups. I'd be interested to have the data of when those bucks were shot. I would be willing to bet without even looking at the statistics that most of them were shot within uh, seven days of the new moon either way. And if it was during the first quarter, they shot them at night. And if it was the third quarter, they shot them in the morning. That'd be some yeah, good data to look at, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd also have to look back at the historical data, like how many bucks were shot in the previous couple seasons. Because you can have a case like if you have bad weather during that first, I don't know what the seasons run out there, whether, whether you need rifles or not. But if you get bad weather in a season, a lot of those bucks can make it through. So the next season, you end up having a lot more bucks around because they weren't harvested the previous year because weather can impact it. Right. Uh, you know, that, that just basically is a deer numbers. It's a numbers thing, right? Right. Well, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll have to look into some, I'll see if I can collect that data from my, from my biologist friend, get it over to you. Maybe we can break it down a little bit. Sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Absolutely. 
Yeah. What what we do basically when we break data down is we take trail camera photos and we measure them against the moon and the weather on that day. Uh, the wind direction, of course, but there's a lot of different variables. We look for barometric pressure. Temperature uh, says a lot to us. Um, we we look at everything. It's it's uh, it's a pleasure to look at stuff when you see that what you're hoping to see is there. I mean, if you want to talk about game cameras, you know, a lot of people, when they get a big buck game camera, a picture of it, they get all super excited. First mistake they do is they start going in every five days to look and, and see if he's still there. Well, what they're yeah. doing is it's hard to educate that buck. But when we get a big buck picture, we want to know exactly when he was there and why. And what was the wind doing? That way you can hone in on him and then harvest them. And, and, and so I'll try to get a little more predictability when you're going after a certain animal. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Well, Greg, let's talk about minimizing buck dispersion. You're, you're the expert in this arena, and uh, you impressed Bill uh, on your Michigan property, said it looked like Iowa. I want to hear more about this this whole project because a lot of this stuff sounds like it was done before joining this group of masters. Well, I, I was certainly on that path. Uh, I mean, I mean so probably the best way for me to explain this is to start with an analogy. So let's say we'll talk about people. So we're in this little town in the Midwest and there's a bar. There's one bar in this town and it's the only bar that's there. Everybody goes to that bar, all the girls, all the guys, big guys, small guys. They all go to that bar and there's one guy there. He's just one tough, one tough dude. He ends up getting in a few fights. He gets all the girls. And basically a lot of those boys, men, young men leave. They go to find a different bar in another town. You can do that analogy with deer as well. You know, when you have a large mature animal, it's not necessarily the one with the biggest antlers. It's the one with the biggest body, biggest, toughest personality. He will disperse. He will run the bucks off the property, off your property. That's why a lot of people will get pictures during during the summer before they're in velvet, and then all of a sudden they're gone. They never see them again. So here's so here's how I applied this to what I did. I said to myself, well, what if you had? I'll use the same human analogy. What if you had four bars, one up on the ridge, one down by the river, one downtown, and one out by the interstate? Now, all everybody's going to that same bar, or the best bar, where this big bad guy is. But now when they leave, they say, well, I'm just going to go over to there, yep. to that bar. Yep. So that's really the simple concept of, of what I did is I looked at that and I looked at the property and said, okay, I'm going to break this property into quadrants and I'm going to give that buck every single thing he needs times two in that quadrant. And, and what I start to call it is dimensions. How many dimensions can I put to hold a given buck there? So you'd say, well, can I hold four dominant bucks then? The answer is uh lots more than that and, and can i take a few minutes to talk about why dispersion happens uh, you're, i'm all ears because there's about four or five reasons so the first okay. dispersion in deer happens uh when a buck's year and a half this is very common knowledge the mother you know when he has his first set of antlers then mm-hmm. he get test- testosterone kicks in he goes out of velvet that mother doe that dominant matriarch doe she's going to chase him viciously right out of the property right it, and I have not been able to catch that on any of my cameras, but I've caught dispersion on my cameras. But so that's that happens. It, and that's mother's nature's way of preventing inbreeding. Right. So that happens. The next thing that happens is, uh, you know, you know, we really f- uh, feel strongly about the uh, theory of the dark period, which is a few days before and after the new moon every month. That's when most of the deer activity occurs. And so 
when breeding, when we're getting close to breeding season in September, October, November, but typically in September in this area of the country, that first doe, I mean, I, I think most people realize all the does don't come in heat in a given month, right? It, there's right. A, some in early months, it depends upon their age, so on and so forth. So about six to eight days before the new moon in September is typically when the first dispersion occurs of the older bucks. What happens is the bigger buck in a given area he will run out, run out, beat up, chase away that inferior buck. It could be a five-year-old chasing a three-year-old. Mm. It's no contest. They don't do a lot of fighting. He gets run out, and he'll leave. Then the first doe comes in heat. Now what the bucks you have remaining are uh, more equal, big bodies, big antlers, and they actually fight. And, and usually one will end up losing, and that one will get dispersed. That happens when that first doe is just about coming in the heat, and it can occur when they, she's, they're standing with her. Okay. So, so that's, that's the primary dispersion. Those two, two dispersion uh, cases occur right around the dark period, just a little bit before the new moon and right about at the new moon period. So now you've, just, you've had your bucks dispersed, and they've gone out to different terrain. And then what happens is you get leaf drop. And if you think about it, we always see the, the deer just seem to disappear when the leaf drop occurs. Now, why is that? It's because suddenly their whole structure of, of safety and security and cover is gone. Their whole hiding places got way smaller. So now what happens is now you have dispersion happen again because these bucks are running into each other because they can't hide from each other and, and stay out of each other's way. So this all this dispersion is what I've worked on on my property to develop I don't have just one big food plot, right? Yep. I actually have 22 food plots on my property. Okay. All equally divided in certain quadrants based on terrain. And then I talk about, you know, whether you're doing hinge cutting or whether you're doing timber cutting, uh, clear cutting, every quadrant of my property has those bedding uh, diversities. I've got lots of sanctuaries. I don't just have one or two. I've probably got 15. Um, water. You got to have water in every quadrant. So that's how I really did this. And that's why um, I'm able to hold so many bucks. Now, you can't stop them from going off your property. You can't. It happens. But your core, what I'm trying to do is have my property be the core area for as many older bucks as I can. And, uh, you know, we had 14 bucks that were 130 inches or larger, up to 150 inches last fall on the property. We had, we had 14 of them. I've got documented pictures of in velvet, out of velvet, and then being shot. Some of them were shot. Okay. Um, and harvested but you know and and at the end of the season here and it, it i've got i've actually got charts year by year you can tell i'm an engineer you know showing <laughs> right. changes in age classes of one-year-olds two-year-olds three-year-olds four-year-olds and five-year-olds and but at the end of the season this year in december and january i, I run 14 game cameras all the time year round because i'm always learning stuff and uh, i had 42 different pucks on the property which is crazy and it's hard for me to believe last year I only had 20, 26. Hmm. Uh, but part of, but part of it is, uh, the habitat is starting to develop. I figure I'm still two years away from being optimum. Every one of those 42 bucks I can verify with game, multiple game camera pictures. And I can even show where those game cameras were located based on the background. Okay. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's just been amazing to me how it's all come together. Uh, one of the last things I'd mention is, is I formed a neighborhood cooperative, and I think I have 12 neighbors that join my property. And this is important for those people that are listening is if you're going to try to do this, you have, to, you know, us as deer hunters, we keep everything close to our chest. We don't tell anybody secrets. We want to shoot all the bucks. We don't want the neighbors to get them. Right. 
Right. But that's really the wrong philosophy. If you work together, everybody benefits. Three of the neighbors, so through, uh, out of the 12 neighbors, four of them shot the biggest bucks they've ever shot. And they, some of them have lived here their whole lives, right? right? So they did get four of my 14 bucks. We got two of them, the biggest. We missed two with rifles and muzzlers. We can't shoot straight. I found out about my great best friends I have. You know, if we could shoot, we would have had four, but we only got two. Two got hit by cars. Yep. One by a truck at 1.30 in the morning. If your farmer doesn't get his corn off and they're crossing the road and it gets into November, you're going to lose them. I had no other deer killed. Just two of my bigger bucks got killed by, by vehicles. Hmm. Um, and then one got dispersed, and I have pictures of it getting dispersed, multiple photos. And I have one that I don't know what happened to. Okay. Glad I was 14. But the thing I'm excited about is I'm going to have four or five-year-olds next year. I've never been able to document five-year-olds before. I mean, going into year six, I'm going to have I'm going to have actually 14 three-year-olds, uh, nine four-year-olds, and four five-year-olds next year. Wow. <laughs> so it's 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 mind-boggling, but it's fun. I'd like to add one thing to this dispersion thing as well. Uh, there, are, I've noticed that there's a lot of other reasons why deer will dispersion on your property as well. In other words. Some properties are good early season. Some properties are better during the rut. Some properties right. are good late season. What that has to do with is the type of bedding is th- that's there. Some places have no thermal bedding. Well, if the deer can't stay warm, they're not going to stay. If the food's out of balance, they're going to leave. It, it, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that when the restaurants close down up the road, you're going to have to go someplace else. <laughs> right. How long do you think it takes a deer to decide that, hey, I'm not hanging out here any any longer? Well, let me just tell you real quick the story that I put in my book about this. Uh, so I had this beautiful three-year-old 12, uh, 10 point. Mm-hmm. He has G2s, G3s, 12 inches long. He had seven-inch brows. And I said, that is the buck we have to protect. He's awesome. And I had this uh, three-year-old five point. And I got videos of that five point, not videos, but game camera pictures, running him around a field. And I never got another picture of him after that. And I had pictures every week of that buck all summer and into the fall. But after I got the photos of him being chased, and what was interesting, if you look at body language of deer, and I want to stress to people, you really got to watch the deer because their body language tells you a lot. The buck that was chasing him, the five point, had his tail up. And the one that was running has got his tail down just like a dog that's got getting his butt beat. Mm. You know, it, it, so it can happen quickly. It really can. Okay. It just depends upon the scenario. I'm just thinking about your, your neighborhood cooperative and it sounds a little bit like QDMA, but man, and I'm also thinking about how many, like the, the neighborhoods could be large tracks of land, could be small tracks of land that you, you have to coordinate a lot of individual people. And if it's, what if there's public land mixed in between and how do you, how do you kind of coordinate all that stuff? Well, 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 let me just, so I, you know, modern texting, I've actually become friends with a lot of these neighbors. Okay. And, uh, um, but let me tell you what happened in year three, at the end of year three, I went and visited a couple of these guys and met them for a burger. Right. Yeah. And they said, Greg, we did not believe you when you came around. We didn't believe you in year one. We didn't believe you in year two. We thought you were just wanting us to not shoot those small bucks so you could shoot them. <laughs> but they said, but then when you went three years in rifle season, we heard one shot. We knew that you were telling the truth. And now we're seeing all these bucks. We are totally on board. So there's some things that it's actually the, 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 
the neighbors, they go through this uh, learning curve just like you are. Okay. You got to be honest. I show pictures of the deer when we shoot them. I send people out and text, hey, we got one tonight. We'll let you know what it is, right? And I know for a fact a lot of my neighbors have not showed, shared with me deer that have been shot because they disappeared. And I'll tell you one quick story, and I did not handle this correctly. There was a 13-point, two-and-a-half-year-old 13-point this season. And I had a really nice young man on the property line that had shot two bucks, a year-and-a-half-old one year, and then a two-and-a-half the next. And he was following. He said, Greg, I'm on board. I'm going to shoot the older bucks. Well, I call, I let people know that this buck was around. I said, you know what? We should try to let him go because he's 13 points today, two-and-a-half. Well, he ended up shooting that deer, that young man did. And I didn't handle it right because I thought I made the deer more important than the guy, than the person. That was the biggest buck he'd shot in his life. Mm. And instead of being able to celebrate it, he had to hide it because of the way I handled that. So uh, I've, got, I've still got to fix that. I don't know how I'm going to fix that relationship, but I'm going to. Um, that was a great lesson for me. But so getting back to this neighborhood cooperative, you got to be honest. We're all the same, man. We're all built the same. We all care about certain things in our families. Um, I don't have a state land issue around here, uh, so I couldn't really tell you what to do about that. Other than the fact I would think it would could be a negative because if people know you've got a lot of big bucks on your property, they're going to be hunting your property line like crazy. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, would, I would think the same thing. And I, I'm just thinking about like, there's probably some people listening to this, probably a lot of people listening to this that only have access to public land. They, they don't have land of their own, but they're still hunting. And they maybe, maybe not. They'd like to achieve this. Maybe they're just out, out to, to put meat in the freezer. I don't know. And could care less about the larger bucks. But I'm trying to figure out how you do that on public land. I don't, yeah, well, I don't know if it's achievable. Well, uh, I think that, I don't think it's true that there aren't big bucks on public land. I think what happens is there's so much pressure. The, the bucks just are, they get conditioned to be super, super smart and a lot more cautious. And what people got to realize is a mature buck doesn't go anywhere without scent checking at first. Once you get, they get conditioned, right? Uh, Bill's told me this story and it really went home to me is if you're going into an area of heavy cover, a buck will never go in there without scent checking at first. Well, why not this heavy cover? Because if there's a coyote in there, he's going to walk right into it and the coyote's going to bite him, right? So a young buck does that three or four times. He goes in there without scent checking at first and he gets conditioned. So you know, ultimately, a, a mature buck that's five years old, he's just a different animal, and you can't hunt him the, the same way as you do other bucks. So on state land, they're there. I mean, where Bill hunted, he saw those. Uh, he saw that big 200-inch booner uh, where we put him on that spot down there. Yep. Um, that was state land. Okay, gotcha. In Ohio. Okay. So I've been hunting state land for a long time, and basically how I pull it off, this is my strategy, I don't hunt morning or evenings too often on state land, maybe evenings more. But I'm usually walking in the woods when the hunters are walking out. Like if you take my super moon hunt uh, that happened there uh, on 31st, if I had showed up at dawn and hunted till 10 and come back at 4 o'clock and hunted till dark, yep. I'd have saw four deer. Right. If I have came in at noon, and hunted till four, I saw 58. <laughs> That's what I saw between, you know, one and four, noon and four, something like that. So here the deer are also conditioned to when it's dangerous to move and when it ain't, you know. And one of the times that they're never bothered is during the middle of the day. So I just am generally in the woods when other hunters are, or when I hunt state land, I follow strict rules. I'm going to be there first, and I'm leaving last. 
And uh, if they move any deer, they're, I'm going to be there all day. So if they move any deer in and out, uh, I may take advantage of that as well. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Very good. Let's uh, let's talk about your book a little bit more, Greg. Your Monster Whitetail Buck Magnet. Tell me about that book. How did you develop the concept and, and what went into it? What were some of the, the life lessons? How much time do I have? <laughs> Actually, this, I have a, This is a I, podcast you have as long as you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Bill talked me into writing the book. He says, Greg, you got to tell this story. And I said, oh, really? You know, I'm not really a writer, but I ended up writing it. And, and the way the book starts out, I actually tell the story from the minute I walked, got up in the morning, went out hunting that on that stand that Bill set, set up the location for me. I mean, I put the stand in, I didn't pick his tree cause I don't like his trees. His trees are no branches. I got to have branches. I'm afraid of ice, but, but anyway, so the book is just goes through that whole hunt and it just, it, I think it puts in perspective for people about what we all go through when a big buck comes in and you shoot him and you're successful at it. Uh, but anyway, the book totally breaks down the five-year plan, how I put it together, all the steps, the mistakes I made, um, it talks, there's a chapter about it in disper, dispersion with a lot of photos. Um, I haven't talked much about licking branches and stuff like that because there's other techniques that, that, that go into uh, minimizing dispersion. It's not just having the habitat and the minerals and the water and security. It's also uh, 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 about other things that you can do. You know, licking branches, I... I've set up scrapes where, and I've learned scrapes techniques from a lot of different people reading on the internet, but I do my own thing now. I've got one particular scrape I set up, and it's just a single basswood branch in a certain way, and I've got a photo of five does in it hmm. with their nose all in the branch. So you learn about that kind of stuff, and if you can get a lot of scraping going on your property, the bucks don't want to leave. You know, so I had probably well over 300 scrapes on my property this past season. I didn't count them. But when we were tracking a deer, I saw 25 in a straight line that was 100 yards long. Hmm. Um, but the book, the book basically goes through how I did the neighborhood co-op, the conversations I had with every single neighbor. And what's interesting is the guy I bought this from was popular with half the people and the other half hated him. <laughs> so, so I learned all this stuff. Like, for example, there's an old farmer across the road. He's in his 80s, still farming. He actually made all the piles of rocks that are on this property. There's piles of rocks that they used to farm it. And he didn't like the guy because the guy wouldn't let him bring his backhoe in and clean out the ditch that drained his farm field. Now, why wouldn't you let somebody do that, right? Yeah. So basically what I did, I went around to all the neighbors and I asked them what's important to them. How's it going? How do you like deer hunting? Told them what I was going to do. And I found out what they needed. One guy wanted firewood. So when I did my... Uh, my uh, logging that I did of hardwoods, I had him come in and take a lot of the stuff that was good for firewood for free. Come on and get it. Um, so relationships were important. Um, but the book goes through it. Uh, there's basically uh, nine different things I talk about in the book from dispersion to bedding to food. I talk about how to plant certain things. You know, uh, I talk a lot about miscanthus bedding areas. That's a new thing a lot of people are doing. You know, giant silver miscanthus uh, bedding areas are phenomenally effective. And it's not just planting a, uh, a grid, a square grid of miscanthus. If you design it properly, they are ambush killers. I mean, so that's something that I've got going as well. I just put in a three-acre miscanthus uh, bedding spot. 
Um, the other, I mean, I've got experiments going all over. I, I really don't want to talk about some of them right now, but I'm working right now on a chiroproof buck betting, betting spot. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work, but it's fun doing it. Wow. All right. So we got to back up just a little bit. Miscanthus. You got to tell me yep. about that, that plant. Okay. And then yeah, so, I'm going to hear about a little bit about this coyote proof bedding area. This is crazy. Okay. So the, the giant, um, in the Scanthus silvergrass, it's, uh, basically a grass that grows. It takes three years to reach, reach maturity, but it gets to be 12 feet tall. Wow. And it's very, very rigid. So it can handle snow loads and everything else. Switchgrass is really good, but switchgrass gets, gets snow. It knocks it down. Uh, and it's only five to six foot tall. So this stuff, and then, so once you plant a plant, it's a tuber, it's got, a, it's like planting potatoes. So if you're going to put miscanthus bedding areas in, it's a lot of work, but they last 15 to 20 years. So okay. it's worth it. And they're fairly expensive, but you place a tuber, you got to dig a trench, you put them basically four inches down, you got to cover them up with four inches of dirt, but they're very hardy. And in three years, they're uh, four, 12 to 14 foot tall. And once established in year four, they grow outward in circumference six inches a year so what that does if wow. you plant your boundary on the outside of the miscanthus bedding area relatively tight let's say 18 inches apart in staggered rows that'll be solid in uh five years let's say so why would that be kind of interesting well because now you can put entrances where you want them right you know how bucks mature bucks want to enter a bedding area yep. once you know that you can set up your ambushes accordingly Aha. Uh -huh. All right. I see where you're going with this. That makes it goes sense. Back to the, it goes back to the old theory of if you find an apple tree that the deer are coming to out in the woods, you got to figure out how to beat them at that apple tree. But yeah. if I get to plant that apple tree, it's a different story. story exactly. Right. Right. Uh, so, so Miscanthus is, uh, you, you know, you buy them by 125 to a bag. They're roughly 65 cents to a buck a piece. Mm. So it can be quite pricey. It takes like 1500 per acre or so. So you can see how it could add up quick. But um, I'll tell you what, they are awesome once they get grown up. Okay. Not only that, but when the people around you start cutting their corn, it's a bingo, here they come hiding spot. I had a guy <laughs> I bet. years ago in Pennsylvania, and he called me just a couple of months ago and told me that in the last four years since that thing's been mature, they banged the 160 or better out of there coming to that thing on the day they cut the corn. No kidding. They shot five and four years over 160. Wow. That's and the good. other thing, the other thing about miscanthus, and, and you know, I, I've successfully put in both switchgrass and miscanthus. Switchgrass is is a little bit tougher to get established because of weed competition, whereas miscanthus is just tough, man. That stuff is it grows. First year is three to three foot tall. Second year is seven foot tall. Third year is 12 foot tall. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Super, Some unbelievable stuff. Super yeah. plant. Wow. That's neat. So what about the coyote proof bedding area? How the <laughs> heck do you do that? Uh, well, it has to do with uh, creating a bedding area that's got water. Okay. Coyotes don't like to swim in water over their head. Right. Right. So that's the concept. Uh, you know, so it's something you do with an excavator. You create, you create a bedding spot that has water around it. And uh, so that's an experiment phase. Uh, it's done. I've got it built. I, the next thing is uh, I'm going to be putting switchgrass and ascanthus on it. Nice. Uh, All right. And uh, eventually it'll take me a couple of years, but in a couple of years it should be, 
I'm hoping I'll be able to actually have a bachelor group bet on it. And because let me talk a little bit about dispersion again. There are cases where you will have two bucks that are equal on your property. And I've had that. Matter of fact, one year I had three that were equal. They fought all the time, but they were always here. Why didn't they leave? Because they were equal. What tends to happen then is you wouldn't see them together during the breeding period. They'd be around. They stayed away from each other. They respected each other. Mm. Right. So sometimes when you're out hunting and even during the rut, you'll have two bucks traveling together. That can happen. They're, they're, they become buddies or respect each other. I don't know what it is, but I'm hoping that these betting spots on developing will ultimately be able to hold multiple uh, mature bucks at the same time. Yeah. I've seen that. It's like big buck doesn't want to hang out with little buck, but on occasion they'll hang out with an equal. It is, it yep. is, it is yep. funny how they do that. Hmm. The other thing that we do as far as coyote proofing is if you design your miscanthus uh, bedding areas with narrow corridors for travel for the deer, yep. the only reason why a deer is at a disadvantage is when he's in a field and he's got several coyotes circling him, they're going to try to hamstring him. Well, you that's a different ball game when that coyote can't swing because of the switchgrass. Right. That big buck will lower his head and he'll finish that coyote himself. Right, right. Makes sense. All right, let's move on to this other amazing thing you got going on is Tactical Whitetail University Seminars. Yes, sir. What's going uh, on with that? That's, that's, I don't know, it just seems like people will be lining up out the door. Well, I hope so. It's our goal to educate and to help people. I mean, all right, so it took me four decades or better of hunting. Uh, at our university, I have designed a curriculum that will take uh, anywhere from an average hunter to a guy that's had no experience at all. And if he's aggressive, he's, you know, coordinated, you know, physically fit, he can uh, um, become, you know, everything I know tactically, learn it not only out of my books and, and whatnot, but from the field for me. And in three visits to our tactical Whitetail University, you can leave a master level hunter. Okay. So basically, what it, what it is is it's it's we're actually teaching hands on. Uh, there's classroom stuff because we've got to teach you like the wind and and even some of the habitat stuff. There's classroom stuff where you do that, but it's in the field where we're going to have spots and areas. We'll take groups of guys down there and say, okay, tell us how to set this spot up. First of all, you got bedding there, you got food there. What how are you going to hunt this? And we're actually going to teach them how to identify ambush sites and then properly set them up and also how to properly enter and exit them. Because that's the number one mistake people make. All my buddies do it. I could tell you. I'll tell you a story. This is worth telling. <laughs> so I got I got a, I got a, a, a hinge cut. I, I only use hinge cutting for making buck bedding areas specifically. Specifically, they're very small. Yeah. And I made one up on a flat and. Uh, Last year, I was walk. I, I had a mineral station back there and a camera, and I was walking by this bedding area. There's an old trail there, and I look over and I see a buck. This is the end of May, mind you. Was outside his ears in velvet, and there was another one back in there further. I could see his antlers as well, looking right at me at 20 yards, and I'm blowing right at him. And I walk by him and go up, and and I don't stop because I knew if I'd stop, I'd spook him. Right. Yep. And uh, anyway, so I get so I get all the way up there, change the camera and get back out. And then when I come back, this is just this is just really cool stuff to learn. What do you think those bucks did? Well, I thought they'd be gone because it was 20 yards. They smelled me. They, I wasn't didn't have my scent stuff on. I'd have had rubber gloves and rubber boots, but I'm sure I stunk. I haven't. Well, I'm walking by and I'm walking, looking again, walking steady, but slow. And I'm looking. I said, darn it. Yep. They're gone. Just like I thought. 
But then I looked back five foot behind where he was. He had moved behind a tree stump, a hinge tree stump. All I could see was his antler sticking up in his eyes, watching me, watching me go right past him. Uh, so anyway, that's a really good story. I forgot what we were talking about now. <laughs> well, the White Killing University. Oh, yeah, University. the university. Yeah. Right. This basically, I've got a, some bullet points here of, you know, what we're going to teach. And for instance, people don't know about the straight line. And um, you, the industry teaches enter from downwind. Yep. This is unsound thinking. Um, let's, let's take this scenario. If you have a big buck that's bedded 40 yards directly behind your tree, does it matter if you come in from downwind or upwind? <laughs> Probably not. All right. So why do I insist on trying to enter with the wind? Because I want to control where my scent stream is going in a straight line. When I get to my tree, I'm walking with the wind over my back and I walk right through my number one shot lane and climb the tree. Now what happens is that maybe I was at just a slight disadvantage walking in because mathematically I soiled more ground. But now that I'm in position, mathematically I've split my scent up. Because you see, if he comes in from downwind and then checks for and picks up just a little bit of me and then checks the ground for ground scent, I'm not there because I came in from upwind. Okay. Yep. And if he comes in from upwind and picks my ground scent up and begins to test the air, I'm not there because I'm blowing the other way. Right. I've successfully split my ground scent up from my scent stream. And you've also stopped him so you can shoot him. If he <laughs> stops in my number one right. shot, right. he's stopping right where I want him to. Yeah. So our school is a one day, it's a, it's a full day uh, seminar uh, all day long. It's located in uh, Western Michigan. And uh, it's it's there's going to be lots of habitat stuff to be taught as well. I mean, I talked for a minute about hinge cutting, but, you know, hinge cutting, there's a lot of information about that out there. And I think a lot of people know how to do it. But um, we're not just going to talk about ambush stuff. We're going to teach them how to develop properties as well. Well, as a matter of fact, each each student is going to get to spend like two or two and a half hours with a different master. Okay. Masters teaching. So they will, they will get the, they'll get the mapping scoop, they'll get the habitat scoop, they'll get the ambush scoop, and they'll get the tactical scoop. Everything that they need to know to arm them to be as prepared. They'll also get the timing information. They will get, you know, the calendar, and that will be taught to where they will at least have a general understanding. So we're going to lay it all out there. I mean, I figure I got the most brilliant minds in the world working with me. And I also have the greatest guys in the world working with me. And we, our knowledge, I mean, our motto is we have no secrets. We want to teach because our goal is to, to make honey enjoyable. You know, I, I do seminars all the time and uh, talk to people and I say, Everybody in the audience, raise your hand if you ever had a fight with your wife over hunting. And either that or your wife's out hunting. Well, here's the other way to look at it, too, is, you know, uh, the average uh, mature buck, when he gets to be five years old, most of them die of old age. Right. And when you think about that, 
there's no reason. We got to teach people how to properly hunt these animals because I'll tell you what, the reason I do it, I get so darn shaky. I, I get big buck fever. I don't even know how I pull it off. I get so shook up. But there's a lot of people like that, and that's why I do it, and that's why I love it, right? You know, if you haven't experienced that, more people got to experience that. It's pretty cool. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. Very cool. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to cover? Well, I, I would like to uh, to cover one more thing, and that was my team helping me with this property that I did this weekend. Um, and And this is just me trying to look out for people out there. I went to this property, man, and there is just absolutely a ton of hiding on it. I'm talking about good hiding. And he had a consultant come in and want a hinge cut and and uh, create more hiding, plant switchgrass. He needs to ramp the food up on his property. Mm. Forget any hiding. He's got it already, and the bucks are already preferring it. Thermal bedding. You know, and uh, windbreaks and sunny beds. I mean, you couldn't have created it any more better if you if you'd have done it yourself. Yeah. Uh, but having you know ambush set up on your property in a single day, I went through the property. That was supposed to be a two day job, and my price is twelve fifty a day right now. Uh, soon to go up. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, the the job only took one day. So I gave the guy 800 bucks back, you know. I mean, I'm not out to rip people off, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm an honest man. In other words, look, if if the job takes this long, yeah, I'm going to have to take the money. But if it doesn't take that long, you know, because I ripped right through it, I'd rather, like I said, I only uh, suggested the guy on 200 acres. He hanged 12 stands. And that gave him over 24 options for wind. So the wind could not stop him or his dad. Hmm. Gotcha. All right. Very good. Bill, do you ever do any uh, analysis from the from the desk uh, with the use of maps and things like that? Or do you always go out to ground check too? Oh, I always start with Josh's Cypros. Okay. I mean, you got to have both, man. You, there's things you can see from the air that you can't see when you're on the ground. There's things you can see from the ground that you can't see from the air. I never used to be much into mapping, but Greg was actually the one that turned me around on that with our Missouri hunt. We went to Missouri and we planned to hunt this spot. Make a real long story short, Greg repicked the spot from his desk and described to me what we were going to find when we got there. And when we got there, this spot was exactly as Greg described it. And I said, man, I've got to learn how to do this, hmm. you know? And uh, so I have been, and I've actually developed my own mapping system that I use, you know, um, using the elevation lines and different things, path of least resistance, and where multiple paths of least resistance uh, intersect, creating what I call concentration points, whatnot, you know? There's a whole lot of things that go into it. But yeah, to answer your question a little bit further, Jay, about the mapping. So just coincidentally, Bill and I have a 360 acre parcel we're going to to do in the next couple of days. And a big piece of property. I wish I had that much acres. But anyway, uh, so our focus really, it's really changed in the last couple of years because now we're looking, when when we go to a property, look at habitat, we're looking at, wait a minute, we want to figure out how to 
hold as many bucks as possible and grow them and keep them from dispersing and give them the setups that allow you to shoot the five-year-olds. Right. That is a real change because you go in to put up stands. Yeah, they're good stands, but these are the way we're setting up stands now. They're targeting the five-year-old bucks. Of course, they'll work on any animal that's walking through, but so we use the mass. So before, you know, before Bill and I are going to be going to go to this property the next two days, we've got multiple maps that are already laid out with potential, you know, we've kind of got it all designed before we even go. Then you go in, look at the terrain in person and validate whether your plan will work. So that's the kind of detail we get into when we go to do these, these jobs. Okay. There's actually a lot more work than, than you think. It's not just in the field. We probably spend four or five hours before we even go there. Gotcha. Looking apps and studying them. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's almost um, almost counterintuitive to well, you're trying to keep the bucks there, yet you're trying to find a way to hunt them. And then the way the the bucks and the pressure, I mean, you, you, naturally, you think they don't go hand in hand. It's like they're antithesis. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right? I mean, my philosophy is I want to have as much good diversity and cover my property as I can. You might say, well, if you do that. They got too many places to hide. You can never shoot them. And I said, I'd love to have that problem because I, I we know how to shoot them <laughs> with our settings. Right, right. Well, that's good. It's it's uh, yeah. It's nice that you can kind of put that all together where you can hunt them, but you can hold them. That's a different concept that I and a concept I think that makes the successful hunter successful and the the unsuccessful hunter unsuccessful when they don't understand how that works. Yeah. Well, well, I had two neighbors in the cooperative that wouldn't even talk to me. Hmm. and still the guns blast over on their property. Right. But what's kind of excited me about that is they haven't shot any of the big ones. Right. <laughs> you know, what's the saying about doing the same thing you've been doing? Um, insanity. Right. Over and over again. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope you guys keep spreading the word. I certainly try to spread the word. Not that, you know, not that I, it doesn't bother me if somebody shoots a small buck, but I certainly appreciate it when they kill the big one. You know, I, there are certain reasons and I would like to see more mature bucks taken over the smaller ones. And then that's why I like the, the information I got from the state of New Hampshire the other day, uh, just sitting on the ice talking about deer hunting and talking to a state biologist said, we had the, the best mature buck kill ever in the history of us collecting this data. So it makes me feel like there's some progress out there with to, to make have and have people hunt the bigger bucks and kill the bigger bucks. Right. I mean, and, and I don't want to sit here and say, I don't ever shoot little bucks because my seven year old daughter, she's going to be eight this next year. And I'm going to set her on, she's going to get her first buck. Right. I'm right. excited about experiencing that with her. She's helped me do some of my habitat stuff. She's my, you know, she goes around with me a lot. That's what makes this hunting thing special is the family side. Yes. And I didn't even talk about my buddies. Do I have time to tell one more story? Sure. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I've got three really good friends and we're all about the same age and we're all out here working. We're putting in a new boundary trail with a dozer and uh, other two of us are putting up a tree stand. Well, they accidentally killed this big blue racer snake with a dozer, seven foot long. Yep. And uh, so, and they had to leave earlier than us. So we had been sitting in the pole barn, had four of those chairs, folding chairs with the bags sitting there. And, uh, and what they did is they took that snake, coiled it up, stuck it in one of those chair bags with just the head and a little bit of the body sticking out. Right. So we come back, uh, my friend Jake and I, and we're putting the chairs away and we reach down there and, uh, both of us jump back yelling. And then we proceed to beat a dead snake with a shovel. <laughs> So 
so they got us you know that's the right. kind of thing and that's the camaraderie that goes on with uh with uh uh you know when you have hunting property i did have one more topic if i could talk about our membership a little bit definitely yeah let's talk about that yeah so our webpage uh pressuredeerpros.com we are going to have a membership and it's not expensive and the 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 membership has some advantages there's discounts for the school there's discounts for any books uh we're going to get better pricing for miscanthus for the members if they if they want to get miscanthus we put it all together we get better pricing for all of our members we're going to have uh instructional videos uh, that will teach some of the stuff we're talking about and actual in the field things. And our videos aren't going to be perfect. I'll tell you that right now. Um, our videos aren't going to be fancy. It's the content that's in them. There's videos every month. There'll be additional videos uh, that, that are going to be teaching stuff. So at least want to let people know that's going to be out there as well. Beautiful. Right. Also, I guess there's one other thing I'd like to say is that we're setting up a payment plan for guys that want to come to the school um, it's like, okay, this weekend, uh, I charged the guy, uh, 1200 bucks for the day, but that man received, uh, at least a thousand dollars worth of teaching that would have came from the school. When I have a, a client out in the woods that hires me as we're going through, if we see a scrape, I ask him, okay, which way is he going? If we see a rub, I ask him, which way is the buck going? You know, uh, if, if we find a dead spot in the wind where, there, where it's real windy, but yet right here it's dead, you know, I'll just, I just teach it whatever comes up as we're going across the property. But mostly what I teach them is how to use the wind because everybody since the beginning of time seems like they got to have the wind in their face. And you do when you're hunting on the ground. Yep. Pretty much. Now, there are some cases where you can you can blow at them on the ground as well. Uh, Michael has, is the master at that. But um, that's basically, you know, we're, we're just trying to cover every angle. So like I said, we may not know every right move to make, but over the last four decades, I figured out a whole bunch of wrong ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good analysis, Bill. I like that. Excellent. All right. So if by chance we didn't cover enough information here today and people who are listening are, are intrigued and they want more information about what you guys are doing, where can they go to find more information? Well, our, our, our webpage is, uh, you know, uh, www.pressuredeerpro, all one word, pros, pressuredeerpros.com. And uh, the webpage is all in there. There's information about our, our circle of masters, each person. There's bios. Uh, there's uh, all thing, all kinds of information about the school and the services. Uh, and there's phone numbers. You're not going to get an answering machine. Well, you might get a phone or a voicemail, but you're not going to get an answering machine if you want to call and talk to us about anything. I mean, uh, that scares me a little bit because my wife, you know, the whole family balance thing, yep. <laughs> I'm supposed to be retired. And she said, there you go on that darn dear passion thing again of yours. But I said, well, yes, and but you like the money, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Very anyway. good. Awesome, guys. I appreciate you stepping into the Big Buck Registry Studios and and uh, telling us about what's going on. And it's always a pleasure to just, I mean, I always learn from 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 bill just just sit next to him so um but it's i think what you have going on is really really cool and i think it's you know one of those higher level teaching ideas well basically we want to be able to take a hunter and recognize whatever level he's at and giving the teaching he needs in other words some guys 
may not need this kind of teaching. They may have a strength in that area, so there's no reason to re-educate them on something they're already good at. But we pick out what they don't know, and we can do that with a simple questionnaire. You know, most of our students will have to fill out a questionnaire because we want to individualize each student. In other words, how high will you hunt in a tree? Uh, what kind of physical shape are you in? Um, are you willing to spend $10,000 a year on food? You know, yeah. what, what all this stuff is just uh, personal treatment and personal service. And then our follow up is what we pride ourselves on. Once we do a job, we stand behind that job, even if it means coming back for nothing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. Yeah. And we want to thank you again, Jay. It's You've made this easy for us. This is my first podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate how you, how you walked us through it and kept us on track. And, uh, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Cool. I, I think there are more to come and we, we need to talk to all the pros. And I think uh, there's so, so much value here when and Bill's uh, encircled himself with an amazing group of people. So I'm pretty excited. Well, I want to thank you. I give you my personal thanks and the thanks from the team as well, Jay. And uh, I'll be looking forward to talking to you anytime and uh, uh, working with you, having you on board as one of our masters. And uh, hey, we maybe together we can we can impact the world. Well, thanks to Bill and Greg joining us on the show and exploring the habitats. And, of course, we got into a bunch of stuff with Bill and Moon Phases. And there's so much more to learn from these guys. Really excited that we've teamed up with them. And we're going to explore each and every expert and bring them to you so we can share all that knowledge. And you can continue on listening to the experts as we have through the last 240 episodes. Get out and Come into the studios so that we can capture their their knowledge and share it with you so you can turn around and use it in your hunt. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week? Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know. We... The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsesportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. The, the youth that's coming up and uh, going to be hunters, future conservationists and you know, land stewardess and managers of the herd, we've got to take time and, and, and educate them. And right now is the time where you're starting to think about getting stuff set up for the spring and summer months for your, your deer herd. As far as food plots and all that, well, you know, take time and, and get a youth to participate with you, not only from, from the beginning. You know, a lot of people just show them the hunting aspect of it. They really don't show them how they go out to the woods and prep the stand locations and all, and all that. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, going bow hunting or going shotgun or rifle hunting. You, you need to get involved if you're ordering seed for your, for your food plots or you're ordering fertilizer for your food plots or even if you're doing uh, some kind of uh, you know, native grass vegetation type uh, area for the for the bedding or a deer herd uh, habitat, you know, get involved when it comes to how do you order it, how do you prep the order that you're putting in at your local co-op or wherever you order your seed from or seed rep or whoever it is. But you know, get get them the either one right along with you when you go there to place your order, or have them around when you make the phone call and and let them listen to how you discuss to that person of what you need and 
and what you got going on. If you're going to pull soil samples and, and uh, you know, do some soil preparation, discing, field cultivating, uh, you know, running a, a three-point tiller through your food plots, get them out there. If nothing else, let them stand on the sidelines and, and get that visual education. That way when they, they start uh, getting a little older and they're able to do things on their own, that they have a general idea of how it all works. And, and, and that's something that uh, if we all participate in taking a couple youth hunters out to the woods and showing them step-by-step step how it all works, it'll you know better their odds of being more successful in land conservation and building habitat and uh, prepping for the season. I love that. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you or you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher and Blueberry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckredstreet.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.